Much better. Thanks. Um, so good what God's doing. Um, isn't worship going somewhere new? Um, and, and I think it's really important we ask the question, where and what is the Holy Spirit doing um, amongst us? It, it's uh, Actually, what I'm going to talk about this morning really is, is, the, is the language of miracles. Um, often we... <laughs> The way, the way that we've been raised is that you learn stuff in a class, or you go to university, or, you, or, or your, uh, your employers will send you on a course, or maybe these days give you one to download or, or watch online, yeah, and that's called learning in our, in our culture, and, and, and there's a place for that, and it's valid, but, but there's a way in which God communicates that doesn't fit any of those categories, but he's kind of expecting us to catch on that he's talking and, and actually kind of drain and suck up some of the nutrients from his communication style. So would you turn with me to, to Mark chapter 8? It's a, it's a passage we're going to look at this morning and it, it's, it's, it's one that's fascinated me for years and uh, it's, it's the feeding, not this time of the 5,000 but the 4,000. If you'd find that with me, that'd be great. Mark chapter 8, and starting in verse 1. <laughs> oh, we got it here? Oh, no. It, it's coming, though. So we'll read it off the screen together, eh? If it's Mark 8, 1. Tell about your experience of Glasgow. Well, it's a great city. I, uh, I read something yesterday about the guy who's setting up this, is it this five, six-star hotel in Glasgow that's due to open in um, the spring next year. And he's actually from this area originally, and he's come back, and one of the things he's doing is starting this hotel. And he said, Glasgow is the kind of place where, these are not his exact words, but what he was saying is, if you make a bold step and you go for it, that people will rally behind you. And, and celebrate what you're doing. What a great city to be in, eh? You recognize something about our city that's, that's very, very much to be celebrated. Here we go. I knew it'd come. Uh, during those days, another large crowd gathered. <clears throat> Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set them before the people and they did to set before the people. And they did so. Okay, They had... A few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. And afterward, the, the, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Let's keep going. I want to keep going to 21. About 4,000 men were present, which probably means there was eight to 12,000 people, including children. And having sent them away, he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanatha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. 
He sighed deeply and asked, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I'm still confused by that. They just did one. Um, you know, were they not watching or something? Uh, I'll tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. That's even more confusing. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. His disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Now, I would be concerned at this point. <laughs> If, I don't, if the meals for the day are not planned and provided for, I'm already in a place of anxiety. I understand the disciples, okay? I know what I'm having for lunch. I'm happy, yeah? Um, the disciples have forgotten to bring bread. So they're preoccupied like I would be with, what, there's 12 of them plus Jesus and maybe a few others. Uh, that's a lot of people to feed on one loaf. So Jesus says to them, be careful. Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? (laughs) I would be like that. I'm like, what about lunch? What about lunch? The yeast of the Pharisees. Maybe these are trying to tell us something about lunch. He's not trying to tell them something about lunch, all right? He's trying to say that the yeast of the Pharisees and the Herod, which is, is little bits of yeast will leaven the whole lump. He's saying that actually the yeast of religion and the yeast of, 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 of politics or the political spirit will leaven the lump of, and, and put impurity in the lump that is the kingdom. All right, that's what he's trying to tell them. All they can think about, we only have one loaf. We only have one loaf. Um, <laughs> It's just so funny. <laughs> you can just feel yourself there, can't you? He's saying this sort of profound thing and you're going, why didn't you bring the bread? They're probably accusing one another. Do you know what happens? You said you'd bring it. Yeah, no, no, you said you'd bring it. And then they're missing this over their heads. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? <laughs> He's sharp, isn't he, Jesus? He knows what's going on. They're just thinking about their stomachs and lunch and all that. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? I think they're being told off here. Have you noticed? (laughs) And ears but fail to hear. And Don't you remember? I mean, that's a lot of questions in one go. That's a a huge amount of a feedback session, Jesus and the disciples. Could we just go back of us? Look at all the questions he's asking. Have you got eyes and fail to see, ears and fail to hear? That's really two questions in one, but we'll go with it. Don't you remember? Go on. <laughs> when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls? So there's a bit of a quiz now. Bible quiz? All right, all right, everybody. When I broke the five loaves and the five, for the 5,000, how many basketfuls? Did you pick up? Remember, they picked up the basketballs. How many was it, team? How many was it, church? Wow. It's not a trick question. It's on the board. All right, just... <laughs> Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves to the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered... Seven. Okay, let's keep going. And he said to them, do you still not understand? His expectation was that they had learned something through hanging around 
in the presence of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 that they clearly hadn't. And he's calling them to account. All right? He's saying, you, you were there. You were there when these two events took place. And clearly, I am ex- he is expecting them, Jesus is expecting them to have received something by the fact that they were there and they didn't get it. So they had eyes that didn't see and ears that didn't hear. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but there are times where God does things and says things and it's just like uh, you don't even know it's him. But the language of heaven, the language of the heart of God He's got, a, he's got a code book that he communicates from. He's got a way of communicating. And for those of us who have, whose hearts are drawn to know him better, actually what he draws us into is learning his ways and not our ways. He's drawing us into understanding the way he communicates so that we value the way that he does it. And clearly here the disciples are still on a steep learning curve because they were supposed to understand something by being in those two miraculous provisions of bread. And I think the implication is they should have understood that Jesus can show up, can create bread anytime. They're concerned with material needs being met. They've just lived through two profound, profound creative miracles that were supposed to communicate to them, at least at this level, that you don't need to worry about bread in this life while you're connected to Jesus. Jesus could take one loaf and he could make it, yeah? So they'd missed the point of two incredible miracles. (laughs) Now for us, we, we would probably have done better if... The miracles had happened, and then we'd been taken to a classroom. And Jesus said, observe. And, and put up on the whiteboard, or, or you know, projected it up. How many, and he did the whole, we had five loaves and three fish. And then we got everybody to sit down in groups of 50 on the green grass, it says in one of the, one of the versions. And, and then, and then uh, you guys took the fish, and you took the bread, and everybody was filled, and then we had this many. Now, what does, class, what does that show us? And, and you know, they'd be kind of, well, you can feed a lot of people? Yeah, that, that's really smart as well. What's it showing us about, what's it showing us? Come on, class, what's it showing us about, about who I am? What's it showing us about what I can do? What, what can you carry with you into life from this moment? How is this changing your life from this moment on? Not that every day the 5,000 will be fed, but being in the environment where that happens, how is that going to rebase your reality for next week when you don't know where breakfast is coming from? Do you, see, they were meant to carry out of those experiences something that had changed them for life and sometimes I know in my experience the miraculous and the breaking in of God it's a bit like going to watch a Bond movie so I've, I've been I've seen it so I won't do any spoilers for those of you yet, yet to go um, but, but yeah the one you have seen Skyfall does a Bond movie, you have a good time, eh? Most of you, if you like Bond, you go, you go because you have a good time. 
and there's lots of razzmatazz, yeah? yeah? And you have to suspend disbelief, don't you? Yeah, you, do. you, you really do. You really do. At all kinds of levels, you have to dis- How does that car stay on the track? How does he manage to fall so far and not break a bone? How does he manage to take on a guy three times his side and, and, and get you know, knocked to pieces and still just make love to the woman straight away afterwards? I mean, I don't know how... <laughs> You have to di- suspend disbelief for James Bond, all right? <laughs> yeah, no, I won't say that bit. But the <laughs> and then you come home, at home and you maybe, you're able to talk to your friends about it, but after time there's another Bond movie and then there's a, they remake Bourne and and you go see something else, and it kind of fades a little bit, and there's maybe one or two scenes scenes that stick in your head. So you maybe remember bits of the movie, but it has not changed your life, but you experienced the spectacular and the unbelievable, and and some of us treat God's spectacular a bit like that. We're really glad it happened, and it was really interesting at the time, and we can maybe relate the story or bits of it that we remember, but we've not allowed it to touch us. Because we're used, we're used to observation, but we're not used to it being something that's meant to reform our, and rebase our reality. And you can do it with all sorts of things in the Bible. So it just becomes, well, I'm just going to suspend my disbelief. and It almost becomes a delightful sort of fairy story. We believe it's true, but it's not penetrated our being to the point at which it's rebased our reality and our whole perspective on the rest of our life. We will never see lunch the same way again. That's what Jesus is saying. Or never see the lack of lunch the same way again. Lesson for me. Uh, I, I feel that It's interesting he said this had happened twice. 5,000, 4,000. There's grace here. If you didn't get it first time, here it comes again. (laughs) But when God's done a miracle for you or around you or in those next to you several times and you've been party to it, you've seen it, you've tasted it, at that point you're supposed to have taken something on board that's changing your life. There's, There's like nutrients in the invasion of heaven. There's information. There's the, the, there's, it, but it's not just meant to inform you. It's meant to adjust you. Is that, is that making sense? And, and I think <coughs> what, what we see here is Many, many people have the opinion, I count, I've counted this in myself, and I, I've, been, I, I've changed on this, but I've encountered it with many believers, that God does something, and, and then he turns something on, and then when it stops, it's because he turned it off. Yeah. So these disciples in the boat, God turned on, oh, oh, what's, God's, you know, Christians have this God's up to something and those of us who are really spiritual figure out what the something is but often when we figure out what the something is we only even expect it to last a certain period of time yeah. you may be doing it in your life you may be doing it in the church you may be doing it in the nation but God's up to something 
he definitely is up to something. We can all agree on that. He's up to something. Hallelujah. That God was up to multiplying bread and fish. What the disciples were supposed to carry with them is that what he'd begun he could keep doing. So that one bread, one loaf of bread in a boat was always going to be enough because the miracle worker was still in the boat. Do, do you see what I'm saying? They weren't supposed to now. We had those experiences, so we now consign them to history. God started doing multiplying bread and fish, and then he stopped doing bread and fish. So now we are needing bread, and we need, we need another revival. We need a bread and fish revival. No, he's saying you already had a bread and fish revival. That's equipped you for every time you need more bread and fish. So we have, we have this mentality in Christendom that God switches it off and then he switches it, so he switches it on and then he switches it off again. Actually what he does is he switches it on, he lets us see it so that we can then carry on the expectation of that into the future. He wants us to get the nutrients out of it so it rebases our reality so that we start to move in that new level that he released and that goes on into the future. It isn't a start-stop thing. He's... he's He's, and there's a lot of scripture to back this idea. There's nothing, when God speaks in, in Isaiah 55, yeah. it doesn't return to him void. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't ever go back until it's fulfilled everything he's spoken and intended it to do. So when it comes to earth, it remains in the earth until it's fulfilled everything it's supposed to do in the earth. So that means the stuff often hanging around that God started that he didn't stop but we thought he did because we didn't gain the nutrients out of it when he began it. But that still means he's doing it. And so as we reconnect to what he's doing, suddenly we think, oh, heaven's invading again. Well, no, heaven never went away. We just didn't realize what we were connected to and how it could continue. Well, you used to do that in my life. Maybe you're still doing it in your life. And maybe there's a way in which what he did do in your life was, was a classroom experience, but it was a heavenly father's classroom experience, which was an experience classroom. It was a miracle classroom. It was a breakthrough cl- classroom. And when that breakthrough happened and that miracle happened in your life, in it was instruction and nutrients and revelation that you were meant to feed on that would mean you would live in that reality for the rest of your life, not just have a momentary experience that came and passed away again. Amen. But that requires us to give due attention to things we're not used to giving due attention to. Yeah. <clears throat> requires us valuing the inbreaking of God in a way that the church has not been used to doing, probably because it hasn't experienced a lot of it over the decades and over the centuries. And so it's made this argument that God breaks in and then he disappears because that's what it seemed to observe was happening. It could be that what was happening, God was breaking in and remaining, but the church didn't know how to adjust to feed on the nutrients that he delivered in order to continue the thing that he started. That is, a, that is an alternative explanation to what has gone on through the centuries in the history of the church. 
So we could be crying out for God to come, and he's already come. He's saying, I'm already here, but you just didn't understand how to keep connected to what I was doing. Yeah. Let me give, give you some, some personal examples. Uh, just over, over a year ago, I, I spoke at the Healing Room Conference. It was August last year. I spoke, did one session at the Healing Room Conference here in Glasgow, <clears throat> And, and I, I, I can't remember what I spoke on now, but it was good. And, and, I, and I sat down, and, and I, I stayed on for the next session and the worship, and I wanted to, to hear what was going on and how, how uh, I think it was Joe Thompson, who some of you know, she's spoken here. She was on next, and I just wanted to cheer her on. And I listened to her. She did a great job. And then I was just sitting down, and, and we'd had a, a ministry time at the end of my session, and a few aches and pains had disappeared, and, and I was happy with that, and, and then... This lady came up to me and, and she said, you were telling a story in the middle of your talk and many of the symptoms you described that got healed, I was experiencing. And as I said that to myself, all of my symptoms disappeared out of my body. I, I had a displaced hip, back problem, you know, legs different length. Nobody prayed for her, but, but and then she'd, in the session she'd gone out and gone walking and found that she'd been healed. And no one had prayed for her. She was just listening to me. And I'm like, woohoo, that's exciting. And then a couple of weeks later, I went to a friend of mine. I go there maybe once a year, once every two years. Got a little church up in Perth. Just a group of maybe 30 people. And again, I was, I was speaking. I think I was probably speaking about identity. And uh, at the end, hadn't spoken about healing. Hadn't prayed for anybody uh, for healing, I prophesied over a pe- few people, and this guy in his 60s came up, Robert the leader grabbed this guy and said, this guy came in and he demonstrated how he'd come in dragging his leg because of a hip problem, and he said, I just sit, sat listening to you and it's gone. Yay. So that's twice. Remember the 5,000 and the 4,000, I'm like, uh-oh, God's doing something here, I need to pay attention. Yeah? Because I wasn't in, it's not something I was initiating. I was doing my thing, and boom, God, God did something. And he did it once, and then he did it again. I'm like, oh, I, I need to look, at, I need to stop and look. Like Moses, there was a burning bush, there was lots of burning bushes. But there was something about this bush that caught his attention and he stopped and looked and then he had an encounter with the Lord and God spoke to him out of the burning bush. A burning bush was not uncommon in a desert. But this burning bush had something different and it arrested his attention. God's doing stuff in our lives and in our church that is meant to arrest our attention. We've been seeing miracles in different forms and we talk about them every week now for six years. These things are meant to inform us and educate us about the nature of God. They're meant to rebase our reality, reposition our faith, and put us in a place where we go from glory to glory in the things that we are already experiencing. He's teaching us every week. Every time you hear someone next to you have a breakthrough, whether it's a physical healing or something happens in their finances, he's expecting you to chew on that and suck all the marrow out of it. Because he's done it to show you something about him so that your reality is rebased when you face your day when you forgot the bread or there is no bread. 
He's teaching us all the time. So here I am, this has happened, and this, this has happened twice. And I'm like, ooh. Do, 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 do. And I'm saying, what am I supposed to do? And, and we went up, um, Janet McFarlane and myself, and Simon, wasn't it? We went up to Inverness again, it's a friend of ours, little church. And that, that I'd been tuning on this tune, and Jan was challenging us to I don't know, get addresses and get all sorts of high-level words, you know, higher level words of knowledge. So we were going for stuff. But on the inside of me, I knew I had to start partnering with what God had already... So he'd begun to do it. Now it was my turn to take a risk and partner with what I had observed he was already doing. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm observing Holy Spirit doing something with me that I didn't understand... Yeah. But now is the time, he'd done that twice, now is the time for me to start partnering with him. And so in, in the ministry time, I just asked, who came in with pain? And I, I used this phrase, check yourself out now because someone is already healed. Not to see if you are. Let's try these people here. I didn't say somebody might be, I said see who it's. And, and around the room, different. there were six or seven people who put their hand up. Five people had different experiences of healing, just, just going, oh, oh yeah, that's gone. That ache's gone. That stomach problem's gone. That I never touched any of them. But he did. In the atmosphere of heaven, all kinds of things can happen in your body, your circumstances, your mind, your family, just by being in the presence of him. And so I was learning to partner with something he'd started and try and gain the nutrients, if you like, the information. I didn't want to... Remember, they didn't understand, they didn't see, they didn't hear, and they didn't remember. Those are things we need to keep doing when God does something. If we don't understand, ask Holy Spirit, what are you doing? So this morning, we're in the worship. Our worship has shifted again. Something good is happening in our worship. And I'm saying, and I'm observing this. Many of you are observing this. So what do we do? Say, oh, it's lovely. We've got great worship. Now it's, it's awesome in this way. Well, yeah, that's good. But that's like going to the Bond movie. <coughs> What's Holy Spirit doing? What's the Father releasing to us? What's he doing in the worship? What's, the, what, 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 what are, what's being created in this space that he's creating? And, and I'm standing there, and, I, and we were praying for the musicians before they came out, and I just started coming out of my mouth about Jehoshaphat. About Jehoshaphat. And there they are, they're in trouble, and the armies are coming against them, and God's strategy is, send the worship band out. I mean, I don't know what you must have felt like in the worship band, because there's all these, these angry Philistines or whatever they were, we know, with swords and bows and arrows and shields and angry faces and war paint, and there you are with your guitar and your cymbal, and you're like, we're leading the charge. <laughs> this, is, this is God's aggressive spiritual warfare plan. You can just like, um, and you can just, you can just feel it sometimes that our worship man is, we're going somewhere and we don't know where it is. Please follow us. <laughs> but the outcome of that time is God beats up on the enemy. And the victory is won without a sword drawn by the... I just felt that this morning. Like, there are victories happening. We're just, 
God's saying to us, well done, you partnered with me in warfare. And we're all going, did we? <laughs> we were just declaring the greatness of God and the victory of the cross. And he said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I did have notes, but I'm not using them, so I'll just say <laughs> Isn't that awesome? awesome. Jesus is enthroned on the praises of his people. That doesn't mean that he's, when we're not praising, he's not in charge. All right. And I think that's been misused in the past. It's like, oh, we enthroned Jesus. No, he's already enthroned. (laughs) It's just when we start to worship like that, there's something of the manifest presence. There's a gear shift that the the reigning, ruling Christ starts to rule and reign in, in a new dimension in the earth because of what's happening in our worship and our declaration, yeah? He's already in charge. The earth just doesn't know it yet. And every time we start to enter these new dimensions of worship, more of the earth is realizing what heaven already knows. (laughs) It's exciting to be in this church. It's exciting to not know what's going on. I know I talk to some of you. I can preach a certain way and some of you will come to me and say, we really enjoyed your message today. And what I'm hearing is, yeah, because this week you understood what I was talking about. (laughs) It's okay to not get it. What's not okay is to sit there going, I don't get this. That's his problem. I wish he'd changed the way he did it so that we could get it. Now, maybe the things that we don't understand and that are stretching to us are the things we need to press into the most. Just like the disciples, it was scrambling their brains. They were like, we're now... One of the most frustrating things about the passage is Jesus was giving them a test and they didn't know they were even in the exam. (laughs) Do you know, we like tests like that, don't don't we? Well, well, some of us do. Some of us hate exams. But, but the point is, you, at least you know it is an exam. Yeah. So you swat up, you go in, you do your best, and then you forget everything you swatted for. But you knew it was a test. You were expecting questions. Yeah. Jesus is giving them a test. And they're like, oh, oh, my goodness, this is an exam. I wasn't ready for an exam. He's trying to find out, were they watching, were they listening, were they understanding? And it was in a situation of stuff was going on they didn't understand. What I'm trying to paint for you is, you may be in, there are prophetic and apostolic dimensions to what God's releasing in this church that you will not get at first. But that doesn't mean that you're stupid and it doesn't mean that we're getting it wrong. It just means you need to suck the marrow out of the bones. It just needs to... Maybe you're being stretched out of something natural so that you become more who you truly are, which is a supernatural being living in heaven and on earth at the same time. It's just most of us are used to living on earth all the time. So we think that anything that invades from heaven is the weird stuff. No, we're the weird ones. He's the real one. Thanks. Could it be that he's training you to come into line with who you really are? Which is a spiritual being first and a natural being second. 
Before you met him, you were a natural being with maybe some sort of strange spiritual stuff going on in life. When you meet him, you become his first. You're seated in heavenly places. You're living your life from that dimension to this one, not from this to that. Which is why these unexplainable, strange things that happen are there to instruct us in our new way of life, in, in who we really are. Yes. And also to instruct us in who he is to us. Yes. How many of you, show of hands, would like to know God more? Yeah, yeah of course we would. You love him, you want to know him more. Yes. I'm giving you some tips here. Because you might be saying, I really want more of you, I want to know you more. And he's be showing up with these miracles and these breakthroughs, and he is actually answering the cry to know him more. Yeah. He's showing up and you go, no, no, what I want is I want to read a verse that really explains it all. But that's a great way to know God, don't misunderstand me. But it's not the only way that he's going to display his goodness to you and reveal his, his manifold wisdom to you. So this week I was sitting with someone, they were sharing with me a great, amazing story of, of debt cancellation. They started this year with, with, with a five-figure sum of debt and they're ending the year with none. <laughs> and I'm like, and at some point it's up to them, they will, they will share the story. But I am now the recipient of someone's breakthrough story. I have some now responsibility because at some point I'm going to be in a metaphorical boat with Jesus and he's going to be saying, did you have ears to hear? Did you have eyes to see? Did you understand and do you remember? Yeah? So I'm like, I'm going to suck some nutrients out of this story because this is someone I know and trust. I know what's happening in their life. This is very exciting. God's just displayed his glory to me. I've now suddenly become responsible for what he was delivering to me through them, through what he did in them. You're responsible for stuff. And every now and again, when you don't know it's an exam, he's going to ask you the exam question. It would be great if there was a sign over the door that said, test starts now. And then we'd suddenly go, oh, yeah, right, what was God doing? What was God doing? <laughs> and the idea is this gets built into our life. True. Your friends had an amazing breakthrough with their money, or your friends had an amazing breakthrough with their health, or yeah. their family circumstances, and they're telling you, and you're next to them, get them pray for you, and listen, and hear the faith that's coming to you through their story for what you need. And let your faith level be rebased, enlarged, increased because of what you've seen and heard through them. Don't have ears that don't hear and eyes that don't see. Don't treat it like a Bond movie. Treat it like the invasion of your dear, sweet, powerful, wonderful, heavenly Father to the earth. And you want to know him more. So what is he doing? What is he saying to you? So God, God's starting, I think, many, many things that we think he stopped. Yes. And what actually happened is it didn't stop. It's just we didn't see, we didn't hear, we didn't understand, and we didn't remember. Yes. Hello? Yes. So he starts something, and once he's begun it, remember my story, he began something twice, people got healed. It's now actually my responsibility to 
steward and respond to what he's doing. He's looking for a response because I'm in a relationship. I am not a robot. And he doesn't want me to treat him like he's distant and he just kind of pops in and does his thing in my, my meeting and then disappears again. He's actually longing for partnership together. That's true with all of us. But some of us treat his ways like they're weird. And I think that's offensive to him. You're going to quench the spirit when he's reaching out to you through a miracle and, and a display of his power or he knocks you silly on the floor or he knocks your friend silly on the floor or whatever like that and you treat it as weird and distance yourself from it, yeah. I, I think that can actually yeah. do something to the heart of the Father that says you're rejecting the way that he wants to communicate to you. Yeah. Well, that's not the way I would like it done. Well, yeah. who's in charge of this yeah. deal, hey? We are here to know his ways, not to train him in ours. Well, God, when you communicate to me in a way that I understand, that that I appreciate, and that I can tolerate, I'll be happy to hear you. That's what some people effectively are saying. That's That's just arrogant. (laughs) And it won't work out well. (laughs) Um. Did you know, just a couple of things. When, when Jesus came, that was miraculous. We're coming up to Christmas. And we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Easter because we celebrate the incarnation and we celebrate the death and the resurrection. Yeah. By and large, the church has focused on the death. By and large, it's talked about and explained the crucifixion, the atonement. But Jesus did, but dying isn't a miracle. Everybody's going to do it at some point, with or without help. (laughs) I just want to prophesy over that you will all die. But the divine and holy living in a human body that is fallen and sinful is a miracle, the incarnation. And that he would come in a baby, that's like, nobody can explain that. go, Go ahead, read the systematic theologies as much as you want. It's amazing. That heaven and earth would combine, that the, the human matter is not atomized by the divine presence. Yeah. In, the, in, in the Old Testament, it says no one can see God and live, yeah? yeah? Here is the combination of heaven and fallen earthliness yeah. walking around having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Go think about that. I still am. And then he dies and suffers an awful death. And in, in that death, all the penalty of all the sin of all the world for all time is taken care of. So what you have done, what you are doing, what you never thought you are going to do, but you do do, it's all dealt with. And then he raises from the dead and he's, he's exalted to the right hand of the Father. And he came to solve a problem. 
which started in a garden. When Adam and Eve fell because they disobeyed God and they sinned and they allowed the enemy in. If we create, and we, we're guilty of doing this, a way of thinking that amplifies the problem so that it's still bigger than the solution, yes. we, are in a pro- we are trapped. Yes. The fallenness, the alienation, the separation, the brokenness, the sin, the horror, all that that came in through that door of the fall is more than overwhelmed yes. by what happened at the resurrection. Yes. Why am I saying this? Because he came and he did two miracles, incarnation, resurrection. We're supposed to suck all the nutrients out of them too. And not allow ourselves to believe that all the brokenness, sinfulness, horror is permanent, is unfixable, is overwhelming the kingdom of God. No, actually, what Jesus did overwhelmed it all. It doesn't mean it's not present in our world, but it does mean that we are partnering, we are, we are ruling with, we are, we are sons of a realm that has already overcome all of that. God's love is bigger than the Holocaust. To him, the size of his immense heart, he can overwhelm the damage of that kind of crisis and that kind of horror, just like that was a drop in the sea of his incredible love. So I'm not... You can then say, well, you're belittling the Holocaust. No, no, I'm trying to amplify the immensity of the sovereignty and the love of God and what he did at the cross and the resurrection. He can fix a universe. In fact, correction, he has fixed a universe. The piece that's remaining for it all to click back in is simply this. The revelation of the sons of God. That would be you and me. All of creation is still groaning in labor until the revelation. There's going to be a moment where what has already been fixed by the resurrection is implemented because we appear in our fullness and true likeness. Yeah, yeah, when Jesus comes back, that's what's going to happen. Well, that, when Jesus comes back, that is what's going to happen. And that is the full and final moment. But the plan was that when he gets back, the shift is fairly small. Yes. Most of us have been taught a lot of our Christian lives that the gap will be so huge. But actually the plan is that it's not too big at all because we've increasingly become and displayed who we really are on the planet until a point where he comes and it's finally wrapped up. (laughs) 
I just feel there's something on this, that we are those who are going to experience and recover and relive the immensity of the impact, the overwhelming depth and height and breadth of what it meant that Jesus rose from the dead and is now seated on high and heavenly places, ruling over all things, over all authority and every, every name that can be named. And he did it all for the church. So if we think he's under any problem, then we're going to be under that problem. But if we understand that he's above it all, then that's where we live and we'll start to implement his reign more successfully on the earth. 